And now we begin the second half of our interview with Drew McDowell, picking up right where we left off from part one. We'd spent a lot of time just talking, you know, just conceptualizing, you know, about stuff. And that was the impetus. It was like, okay, join Coil and we'll do these things that are not going to have the... Because I think there were because of the relationship with Interscope, they had to have more of a Coil Presents thing, but it was still going to... So it was Coil Presents, you know, Elf, Worship the Glitch, or Blacklight District or something. It was these things that they could be as experimental and weird, or even weirder than they'd ever been before. Uh, and, you know, that was that was why I was asked to join, you know, to make concrete. Yeah. And what were you playing at the time equipment wise that they knew that would be a good fit for what they were trying to do? So, I mean, I had, you know, just a collection of just random synths and sequencers. It wasn't even uh, anything. I mean, I had a pro one an MS 20 an Oscar, um, stuff like that. But it was, I think it was more just the conversation. And also, you know, I was invited over to the studio plenty of times just to, you know, hang out and jam. And I think it was more the idea of me being a good fit and ha having, uh, uh, like, conceptual agility you know the ability just to so like come up with ideas you know rather than any particular equipment um though i mean you know they they liked what i was you know what i was doing you know with the equipment i don't know it just it, it was almost more like <laughs> just the vibe was right right you know? totally yeah. I mean, it takes I sometimes that. yeah absolutely yeah. So i always say that's at this point that's the most important thing to me. Yep. Like you said, they were just so hilarious. Basically, my rule is, can we laugh and just joke for hours together? If that's it, then we can work together. No I, 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 yeah. We can figure all that other stuff out later. <laughs> but if we can just crack ourselves up for a few hours, then we're good to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it seems like around the time of Backwards was when they got bogged down by the, the looming obligation instead of just sort of working as they were yeah. working and also a shift in sort of the ritual occult magical nature of some of their works and into the more drug fueled dance zone of things that they were in at the time of which we see both of those things melding on the backwards demos and what's of course later been reworked and re-released um but speaking of the the drug fueled and the occult that seems like one of the things that you guys had in common also is this club music, dance club, uh, taking some acid, MDMA, whatever. Were you also connecting with them on a sort of ritual magical level, which seemed to be a very important thing to them? And I assume the circle of friends that you were spending time with in the in the 80s and leading up to the 90s. I mean, yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, we we shared uh, you know, a love of Austin Osmond Spare, you know, and 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 the work that that he did some of the, the music that we were doing was always it was always ritually charged you know it was like there was never an occasion where it, there wasn't some kind of like intent or ritual process during it and by that time i think also both 
balanced and sleazy as they moved away from the more kind of like solar energies that sort of informed the earlier work into more, you know, like, you know, the earlier, you know, very solar male energies that, you know, that especially scatology and, um, uh, that scatology in particular amplified, you know, into this more like diffuse sort of uh, lunar feminine woodland energy with that not quite having as rigidly ritualistic uh, methodology. Uh, there was more, you know, there was a more sort of like looseness there. Um, but yeah, uh, it was definitely just, you know, it was in the air that we breathed. <laughs> you mentioned Black Light District, but I, I, actually before that, I think Worship the Glitch was sort of one of the main things that you were really contributing to at that time as well, right? There was the uh, Coil versus Elf 10-inch that I think preceded Worship the Glitch. I mean, I'm ha- again, very, very hazy on timeline. <laughs> um, and that, but that was like a little... Uh, uh uh foreshadowing or like pre you know prefiguring of the uh, of worship the glitch and it was just the idea the thing that you know we we wanted to really explore how much you could take away from something and it still be a thing you know it not be nothing how much mm-hmm. could you remove you know you know like from from a work from something and it's still like and what was that tipping point what was the point where it's like okay this is it this is enough you know by removing this much we're actually creating more of something right you know that kind of like you know which again was in you know influenced by you know definitely influenced by uh you know austin spare and you know the idea of like the, the you know neither neither you know like just it was a it was a kind of like a little sort of divergence or like uh, you know like side path off of some of the conversations around that you mm-hmm. know like you know negation and its negation <laughs> the negation of negation you know like <laughs> It was what I took from where where uh, Spare was going with that. I mean, it's much more complex than that, but I mean, you know, obviously that's right. Yeah. yeah. I'd remembered hearing once that part of part of the recording process of Worship the Glitch was and maybe all of the elf material was uh, messing with the Eventide harmonizer very heavily and feeding things back into it, field recordings through it and letting it run through its stereo channels and process that until the original sounds had become unrecognizable. Was, is that true? Is that part of the process there? That, that was one of the, you know, it's funny. It's like, uh, I wasn't aware of, um, uh, uh, Alvin Lucier, uh, I am sitting in a room. I wasn't aware of that until a little bit later, you know, but I think what we were doing in a way where it was sort of like in our own, you know, way using different 
technologies was you, you know doing something similar to what what he was doing you know like where you're yeah by running something through something else until you just have the resonances you don't have really any any of the source material other than the, the, the resonances i mean in his case it was physicality it was running it into a room and then re-recording it and doing that it, it iteratively you know, one of the other things we were doing was, you know, misusing. I mean, we loved misusing restoration software, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, there was a, a piece of software. <clears throat> I think it just came out at the time and it's probably obsolete now called uh, uh, DI. D-I-N-R, we just called it dinner. <laughs> uh, dyna- dynamic intelligent noise reduction. And it was basically, you know, this, you know, something that Isotope does, you know, much, much better now. You know, you feed it a bit of the source signal, a bit of signal that you want it to like get rid of this. And then it tries its best. But this is in the 90s, so <laughs> so we would feed the whole track into uh, uh, dinner and say this is what we want to get rid of from the track <laughs> and it would it'd be like well okay boss and it would go to work trying to like <laughs> trying to get <laughs> and and it would generate just the most incredible artifacts you know like from trying to take from trying to take this track out of itself you know because it never just it didn't ever just give you a blank file you right. know like it gave you something you know and it was just you know these bizarre resonances which then we would you know like take and you know put through other things put through modular or you know like a harmonizer or, or whatever but yeah i mean and then you know using field recordings uh you know just found sources like, it was a good combination of <laughs> just this bizarre uh, methodology of like stripping everything out of a track and then adding things back in. Manipulating ghosts. Very ghostly. I mean, <laughs> that was the idea. It was like we really uh, very, very much played with the idea of uh, that, either, that there was this entity, Elf that was uh, directing the process, you know, and it was kind of like, it was playful. It was a playful conceit, but it was also, we kind of believed it as well because we were just, and we were creating these things that were like, how did, you know, how did this happen? You know, mm-hmm. like that feeling when, you know, like when the, you know, that feeling you get when the, you know, the, 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 when you feel like the machinery is inhabited by something, you know, and you know, we, yeah. So we played around with this idea that it was elf. Well, there is some kind of magic sometimes, you know, when you're manipulating sounds in that way, and then all of a sudden you hear it and and you're like, I definitely didn't do that. So where did it come from? You know, it feels like it has this life of its own. And even then it's like a ghost and phantoms of the past and the field recordings. That's very exciting. I mean, that, yeah, I, I mean, I still try, you know, that's, you know, that's a constant, you know, like for me is like trying to tap into those moments where you're like, okay, that wasn't me. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is something else, you know, this just, you know, something like weirdly serendipitous just happened there and I can't figure it out. I'm sure that's what it felt like when you were trying to compile this box set, because, you know, you're like, <laughs> 
where, when did I do this? When did this come from? Like really trying to pick through each one. It's just wild. Yeah, especially when you're like trying to dig through whatever, you know, especially some of the stuff from the 90s, the sort of like, because there's so much, you know, um, <laughs> so much <laughs> drug, <laughs> drug and just sort of like cognitive mayhem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it sounds like the like running noise reduction on the tracks and filtering and refiltering things and taking field recordings and turning them into something else also lent to the sense of humor that you guys shared yeah. you're sitting there running something through this noise reduction that you call dinner and afterwards you hear it and you're, you're kind of gleefully laughing at what it's produced and knowing that you can take it further or do something else with it uh i, I think there's a certain kind of playfulness and experimentation to this mid 90s work that is really special and set a new direction for the kind of big albums we know later that wouldn't have come without that obviously they're experimenting on everything right from from day one but this was maybe a new direction with new technology available and also some some new blood in the shape of you yeah. and uh the continuing collaboration with danny hyde who was also involved in a lot of the engineering of this stuff right uh, no danny was um when i came on board danny was not involved on uh, in any of this so uh, i think um i'm pretty sure yeah i think he was still doing the uh backwards stuff yeah he was still doing the backwards stuff but he wasn't involved on um yeah, actually, I remember on the NASA Arab first dark ride, he was uh, uh, engineering that and working on that. But then uh, Worship the Glitch, Black Light District, Time Machines, all of that, he, he wasn't involved. In 1996, like you said, maybe the, the Coil Presents thing was happening. So we got one of the strangest Coil records which is Coil Presents Black Light District, A Thousand Lights in a Darkened Room, which is still to this day one of my all-time favorite pieces of work that they've, they've made. And and you're, of course, involved in this. Uh, tell us about recording this record. I mean, this thing is, this is special. This takes the lessons learned from the Elf material, the strangeness and composition of something like Love Secret Domain or Horse Rotorator, but pushes it in all these different directions. I mean, that's the thing, you know, I listened to it again a few weeks ago because uh, Deus is doing, a, a, you know, another uh, repress of it. So we had some new masters done and uh, I listened to it for the first time, first time in a few years. And it kind of overwhelmed me, you know, like I I, I don't know, I, I heard it with, with uh, really like a fresh uh, fresh years, fresh perspective, even, you know, compared to the last time, you know, which I, the last time I listened to it was probably in the last, rep you know, when it was first repressed by Deus. Maybe I was just then focused on just listening to the, you know, listening to the masters, listening for imperfections. And this time I just listened to it and kind of like got lost in it. And, you know, what I was really left with was what what were we I was left with this sense of astonishment that like I've kind of I don't even know what we tapped into for that album you know it was almost and it wasn't even 
with with worship the glitch we kind of had a we had an we had a sort of concept behind it you know there was a, an idea behind it uh to you know how much could we take away and it still be an album with this there wasn't really uh um there wasn't really much concept you know like other than let's tap into and this was very very loose and we probably you know but this was the, our starting point when we before we started the, the album was you know to um try and tap into uh some of the some of the stuff that we loved from like german you know like german you know from like krautrock uh mm -hmm. uh from like cluster harmonium harmonia uh people like that you know that was a very very loose framework that i'm not sure how much of that really exists you know when you listen to it but that was you know that was our inspiration you know like a little a bit of a kind of backwards sort of like uh not even playing tribute because it wasn't paying tribute not even paying tribute because it wasn't supposed to be like an homage or you know anything like that it was just like okay these are our ins this is our inspiration and then you know i think once we we're in the studio all of that sort of just fell apart and it was very much um it was the process of recording it was very much not process it was very much just being in the studio together and just like playing together and just you know having these ideas and just developing them in a, in a much more intuitive and it was definitely the, the studio became a very sort of sacred space i mean the, uh, at, at that point i mean to I mean, to the degree that, you know, as I'm talking about it now, I'm still like, I'm still in that, I'm still feeling that sense of wonder, you know, like, mm. like, and I think that's really amazing to like have done an album, you know, and then still, you know, like decades later, you know, to be involved in an album that decades later, you're like, what? what did we do there you know what this this is really special and you know because i kind of like that because there's no like unraveling of it you know yeah you could do something like imitative you know you can imitate the the sounds of it but you know that it's really hard to to tap into what the you know what what created the that that the particular ineffable magic of that mm -hmm. album. It's definitely a weird one, and it's also like the cover art. You know, the cover art is so intimidating and hostile. It's like when you, but I mean, not intimidating and hostile. It's fucking weird. You know, like mm -hmm. these, you know, sort of, you know, like uh, pathological, you know. Uh, disease ridden you know like distorted images it's like it doesn't make <laughs> i try and figure out you know because when sleazy did the artwork for it, i was just like yeah yeah that's brilliant and didn't really <laughs> think of like what it was what it would be like for anyone else that wasn't involved to like pick this album up <laughs> it, it's 
such a strange thing. And I remember seeing it on the wall at a record shop when it came out and buying it and taking it home. And, you know, at a, at a listen now, 20, what, 27 years after its release, it still feels magical and otherworldly. And unlike a lot of other things in the coil oeuvre catalog, whatever they, yeah. but it has also the, just the hallmarks of its creators on it in this very strange way. And it's, I didn't know cluster or harmony or any of that stuff back then. Right. I was, I got into this stuff through kind of the world serpent realm yeah. and it, I guess that a record that you made that was inspired by those bands would later prime me to listen to those bands, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, it's such a cool, weird cycle of things to, yeah. to think about of like, a band I really like made a record that was inspired by this stuff, which are now also some bands that I really like and have grown to listen to a lot and, and love. Uh, th- that record is, uh, yeah, like you said, it's just, it's, it's unlike anything else. I, I love the use, you know, they, because I don't, it's one of those albums that I'm not sure that other people really, uh, realize how good it is you know i mm-hmm. you know like people you know there's several albums that people you know like this the, the obvious ones that that you know for good reason that people love but you know it's really i it's it makes me really happy to to hear that that you the that, that one affected you so deeply oh i, I can listen to it uh, all day <laughs> I, I never get tired of it yeah especially just the the uh the first three tracks, the unprepared piano, red skeletons yeah. and, uh, the, uh, common Zerk, uh, like those, that right there is just, you, you're completely absorbed by that time. Yeah, you're thrown yeah. three completely different things, which make <laughs> no sense. I mean, unprepared piano is a, a great way to put someone off a record. Like the first yeah, thing yeah, you hear yeah. is that and you're like, what the yeah. hell is this? <laughs> and then it goes into just this, this masterwork of atmosphere and psychedelia and mood and shifting moods and all the undercurrents on that record. That's one of the things that you notice is how much there is happening that you're not even really supposed to pay attention yeah, yeah. to. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. It was, there was a, we, we did, and that's why it's great to hear that because we put a lot, of, we did put a lot, of, you know, there was a lot of work went into that record. And again, you know, like you said, the undercurrents, the things that were just like, you know, little buried, you know, treasures that we hope that people would, you know, would appreciate. <laughs> Well, they have they have been appreciated. <laughs> yeah, it's like a personal energy where you're looking for those little Easter eggs. It's not trying to yeah. satisfy just a, a large, broad, general thing. It's yeah. it's really like reveling in the specific interpersonal things that you know that you all appreciated. And it's almost like being a voyeur, you know, <laughs> listening in on it. Yeah. And I love the title, A Thousand Lights in a Darkened Room. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Grim. Between this and the next Coil record, which was somewhat of a, not a controversy at the time, but it was definitely one of those things that I, I remember Coil fans getting upset about, which would be Astro Disaster. We'll talk about that in a bit. But between Black Light District and Astral Disaster were the Solstice EPs. Yeah. Uh what you were involved in those as well? Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and Rose so. was also involved in those. Although yeah, you yeah. guys weren't married at the time? 
Now we split up in '87. Okay. You know, so we'd been apart for quite a few years, but you know, we'd stayed friends. You know, there was never any. You know, it wasn't a bad breakup. It was just, you know, it, you know, our thing had, you know, had come to an end, and it was sort of, you know, our lives were pretty much still pretty entangled with mutual friends and collaborators. So yeah, she did the. Uh, Christmas uh, is Christmas is drawing, is drawing me. What yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing, love, love. Yeah, yes. perfect, perfect yeah. song, and 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 the, all the all those EPs are just so mm. great. Yeah. And and we got to work with and that was I think the first time that we'd worked with uh William Breeze, Bill Breeze, uh on those. Um uh, yeah, uh providing violin. violin. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible, you know, and getting to like getting to get to know Bill through that was you know, that was really special. Do you remember how those went? Because I know they were recorded at specific times and assembled and, and had very specific intentions. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the idea was that at least some part of the recording uh, would be done on each, you know, solstice or equinox. You know, we wouldn't, you know, cr obviously create the whole thing, but, you know, like we would, you know, we would record some part of it. I think we did... I think summer solstice was the first one, but again, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm terrible with chronology. Um, I think this the uh, the spring equinox was spring the, equinox right? was that the first? I think yes, that was yeah, the first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense, and that makes sense that we would have. That's more in keeping with the way that balance, in particular, would think about something you know have it as a mm. kind of like a cycle starting from the spring yeah yeah that, that that would make sense um yeah i can't you know uh remember too much about any particular session you know other than you know uh i i played guitar on it's the only time i've played guitar on a call well Actually, yeah, the only time I played guitar on a coil record was in uh, Warning from the Sun. That was my uh, crazy uh, shredding. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. So those records were obviously really well received. I think that it was the strange electronic direction that things were taking and the, you know, a mix of that, that, ambience and that intention right coil continuing to show just the intention in all of their music and then the next thing that that sort of happened was the astral disaster record which was released in 1999 on prescription records and this this was 99 copies and only available via subscription which a lot of people got really upset about because coil has as you may have guessed, even yeah. back then, more than 99 fans. <laughs> uh, and that was a uh, prescription was run by uh, Gary Ramon from the band yeah. Sundial, right? Uh, yeah. Another just great psych rock band uh, worth yeah. checking out if anyone hasn't heard them and, and digs that kind of stuff. But how did that record come about? And and do you remember, do you remember the sessions? Do you remember the fan base being upset? <laughs> I don't really remember the. I, I peripherally, I think I was aware of the, you know, the fan base being, uh, you know, upset. But uh, the the session it was basically one session. You know, like Gary had um, 
uh, you know, had a studio in uh, southeast London, just basically on the banks of the Thames, you know, like uh, in the, you know, what was basically the oldest, you know, that, that was where London you know, started, you know, it's like one of the oldest parts of London. It's been continually uh, habited for thousands of years, you know, like close to where like the Globe Theatre was, you know, like where Shakespeare, you know, perf performed his plays and um, so much history. And the the studio is kind of like underground so you're kind of like under the level of the Thames you know like basically like with you know like if you could break through the wall of the studio you'd be like in the Thames <laughs> so all wow. that created created a you know like a strange strange energy and um so it, it was basically a pretty much a jam uh we had, didn't have we didn't really plan very much what we were going to do. We had some loose ideas and we were, you know, it was Gary's studio. He was going to, you know, uh, we're going to go in and record it to tape. We recorded it to tape, eight track tape. We went in for like, I don't know, like eight hours, 12 hours or something and just basically jammed these tracks. And then I don't think we mixed in the same day that we were mixed afterwards. I think, uh, we probably put everything onto Pro Tools uh, and then mix them, you know, in, in Coil Studio. I'm a little hazy on that, but yeah, that was it. Was basically an improv. It was improvised. Uh, improvisation is probably a better word than jam. <laughs> jam has bad connotations. I don't even like. Uh, I don't like the word jam, but you know, it was basically an eight-hour, you know, really eight-hour solid of just improvisation, and then because it was recorded on. Uh, you know, in tape, you know, like it's pretty much, you know, there isn't the non-linearity where you can like move things around. It's pretty mm -hmm. much okay. This is it. It's like this is what, what we've what we've got. I mean, I think this subsequent issue of it, you know, there was remixed you know, in, yes. a, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe actually, maybe Gary, maybe Gary mixed it then. Yeah, on the original prescription. Gary also plays on it, right? Uh, sitar yeah. and some processing. And yeah, also, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if this is the first time we see him in the lineup, but Thaipal Sandra is yeah, on this one. That's definitely the first time. Actually, was he part of the Equinox and Solstice? Mm, he may have been, but I, in my, yeah, I think that was, the, I think Astral Disaster was the first time that we had, uh, we had uh, Thipes on it. And that's, you know, you can just tell that energy that he brings, that sort of uh, focused but psychedelic energy that, I don't know, that I think that's really like what, something that he's, uh, that, that he brought to Coil in particular. And then you would all collaborate on music to play in the dark after this. Yeah. Uh, but before that, we have uh, we have time machines. Yeah. And I was actually looking back. I think it was uh, actually I think the live set is in the uh, box set. 
when you played at Complex here in Los Angeles in 2015. I, I think that was the time you stayed at my house. Oh, right, right. Yeah, but that's not time machines. I don't think the, yeah, the live time machines isn't in the box. Set. Oh, no, no. The, the live time machines isn't in there. Just your solo set from 2015. Oh, yeah, 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 but I was, right, I was yeah, yeah, tying yeah. it together because... Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, I, I did time... Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But I... I you, you stayed at my house and, and I brought you into my home studio and I, yeah, yeah. I had my MS 20 there and we were talking yeah. about time machines and you were telling me about doing the, doing the shepherd tones and the stuff on, yeah, on yeah. that for time yeah. machines. So I, another one of my favorite records and one that I actually just listened to last night to get myself <laughs> in the mood for, not that I wasn't in the mood for this discussion, but <laughs> just to further cement my mood for this, uh, time machines is I mean, you've, you've talked about metal machine music earlier, right? We're talking about uh, cluster and harmonia yeah. and all of those things taken to their absolute sort of extreme of how much and elf, how much can you remove and still yeah, have a yeah. piece of music? Uh, tell me about time machines. So time machines was something that, you know, like we had talked uh, balance and I and sleazy, but you know, mainly really balance and I had talked about doing a drone record that tapped into some of the, you know, not even a drone record, actually. We didn't even think of it in terms of drone then. It was just a record that would free, the idea that it would free you of time. You know, there was certain, like, pieces of music that, you know, that I felt that would just, like, prize you out. We both felt that would prize you out of time and put you, you know, like, put you adrift somewhere and you know like obviously a lot of sacred music um does that you know both you know traditional western sacred music and uh you know we were listening to a lot of like tibetan music um there was a pipe organ piece called um by uh Paschal bell uh, uh and f minor that i you know, it's one of those things. I was like, every time I hear it, hear it, I'm like, I'm in another time. You know, how is this happening? And and you know, I was get we we're both getting very much, or you know, we were uh, listened to a lot of Lamont Young as well at the time. I mean, and you know especially some of the you know the more long form uh uh drone pieces uh uh and we um this was something that this wasn't for a project that we were about to do this was more of like free form like conversations that you know it would you know like somewhere down the line it would be nice to be able to do a record that you know that that freed you of time you know that that and one night i was at home <clears throat> i had my you know i had a like a one bedroom flat didn't have a separate studio i had a one bedroom flat in london and had my gear set up and i just i was playing around with the uh i had an ms20 and i had uh coils ms50 and i had a you know stuff connected and was just playing around just unintentionally just one of those moments when you're like you're really just not you're playing without intention, you know, you're just like playing, you know, d making sounds just for the sake of it, not for any any purpose. And I immediately went into this, you know, like this trance, 
this really profound trance-like state and I uh, had a little DAT machine and hit the DAT and started recording and keeping doing what I was doing and it was, you know, it was the it was basically what would become a DOET, you know, that very kind of like weird like almost la- lam- a drone that has a feeling of a lament, a lament you know it's like yeah. some kind of like you know, some creature or entity is <laughs> lamenting something and um I, you know, I took it over to, the next day, went over to uh, uh, to Chizik, where Coyle's house and where Jeff and and, and uh, Sleazy's house was the house and the studio. And um, I, uh, I, I I took the that and I took the MS-20 with me as well. And I like... Uh, I was like, Jeff, I think this is it, you know. I was a little sort of, like, you know, shy. I wasn't, like, I felt that it was it, but, you know, I was like, you know, it was pretty basic and simple. You know, it. it, I was like, is this, is it just me (laughs) or is this it? And he got it right away. He was like, oh, yeah, this is it. We just, we start, we immediately set set a bunch of synths up in the studio, the MS-20, the ARP 2600, you know, just all analog stuff, all doing these drones, and we recorded for hours. And then uh, Sleazy came, Sleazy was working on a shoot, and he came home from the shoot. You know, he'd had a long, he'd been up since probably four in the morning, uh, you know, because he did, uh, um, he was, I think it was a commercial he was shooting. So, like, you know, came home. This was probably like eight, nine at night. He'd been up since. So, he came home, and, you know, probably maybe a little grumpy. And he, we were like super excited. We're like, sleazy, sleazy, listen to this. This is like what we were, you know, this is what we were, uh, this is what we'll come up with. And he was like, hmm. Is it all going to sound the same? And we're like, yes, it's all going to sound the same. <laughs> <laughs> and he went off and he made himself something to eat and he came back and he was like, okay, yeah. And then, and then we just, uh, you know, we, we started, uh, I mean, we'd done most of it. Uh, uh, I mean, I'd actually recorded a bunch of it onto that at, at, at home. So we took that stuff, uh, what we did in the studio that day, and then, you know, Sleazy added some things and, and that became, you know, that became Time Machines. And it was one of those things that we, that we really didn't expect anyone to like get or like. And, you know, I, You know, it was it was a surprise. You know that it became such such an important piece of music to so many people. You know, I mean, I you know I get it. <laughs> Obviously, you know, it's like it's an important piece of music to me. I would have, and if I'd been someone who you know, if I'd heard it, I it would have done the same thing. But yeah, at the time we thought maybe you know that this would you know maybe a couple of hundred. Coil fans would like it, and that would be it. Right, and it's not it's not a Coil release, you know. Uh, certainly, originally, yeah. uh, much like the Coil presents, this was this was just Time Machines. This was a separate yeah. entity, yeah. even yeah, though it yeah. was the the same core members at the time. And when did when did work on music to play in the dark start? Because it seemed like a continuation of the sort of the intentions of the Equinox Solstice series. Yeah, I mean. 
<clears throat> I'd already moved to New York. I moved to New York in the spring of, uh, no, the winter, Valentine's Day of uh, 99. So, you know, it'd been something that we talked about. We were sort of like formulating the, the, the title was, was there. Uh, and it was going to be a much more fully realized idea of the these lunar energies and it was going to you know and thigh pulse and it was going to fully involve uh thigh pulse andra he was going to be uh you know uh for the first time he was going to be a you know a major a major part in it so i, I had moved to new york um so I was going to have to come back to New York for the, uh, you know, we discussed on the phone via, you know, email and, and uh, what, what we're going to do. But by that time, uh, Balance and Sleazy had also had left uh, London and moved to Western Supermare uh, out in the, along the, in Southwest England, you know, as a way of kind of, Partly as a way of getting balance out of you know out of London and you know the bad influences that <laughs> that uh, in the end up it was a bad probably a bad idea but um, so they set up a studio in the the top floor of this incredible house this you know in Western Supermare and uh, Thipes had helped them you know basically set the studio up the way a proper studio should be set up. But, you know, I got there and, um, you know, it was, it was a strange, uh, working, uh, the methodology was strange because for some reason I had gotten into a completely nocturnal, uh, um, pattern that I couldn't get out of <laughs> you know uh it was also you know I was doing a lot of, you know doing a lot of drugs doing whatever but I was basically <clears throat> and they were very much like uh they were waking up early and re recording during the daytime so what they would do is they'd get up and you know record like uh during the daytime and then I would wake up sometime in the evening, have dinner with them, and then they'd say, okay, the files are here, you know, like just, you know, do whatever you want to do during the night. So then I would work during the night on what they'd worked on during the daytime, you know, and then, so it was bizarrely, um, it, it seems like it was like a, it, it, when I'm telling it, it sounds like discon discontinuous, but it actually, what you know, it doesn't feel like it was a kind of you know, like a collaboration, but in that we weren't all in the studio at the same time. But there was this cyclical like energy that just kept going. You know, there was the daytime thing into the nighttime thing. It was like this beautiful sort of process that, uh, uh, the the you know, that worked really well, you know, and having, uh, having the fully realized, uh, input of, of, uh, Thay Paul Sandra and the musicality that he brought to it. And then, you know, us doing our, you know, 
doing what we do. <laughs> doing what we did. <laughs> you know, that, uh, so that was a, it was a strange album. It was, I'd never worked like that with, uh, with them before. Um, so it was a very, and it was a very weird time for me as well. A weird time for all of us, you know, um, you know, I was going through my stuff. Uh, Balance was going through what he was going through. And, uh, you know, like, I think it managed, you know, it stayed, you know, it stayed uh, cohesive, uh, you know, through that through that process. And that was the last album that I, uh, that I worked on uh, with them because I, then I had some, you know, uh, it took me, I couldn't leave the country because I had sort of green card issues. It took me a while before I got my green card. So I was kind of like stuck here. So, you know, the, I wasn't able to continue uh, uh, working with them. So that's, that's sort of what was wrought from this new outlook on making music and from your experimentations with modular and playing around with that stuff and actually working towards an album. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. Uh, collapse was, uh, yeah. Collapse was what I was doing at these, uh, um, you know, these live shows that people were, you know, I mean, that was the surprising thing, you know, surprising for me that people wanted me to like, you know, play, <laughs> play shows. So I was like feeling out what became, uh, you know, for the most part, there were, you know, there were kind of like improvisations, you know, that then became, you know, solidified. And, you know, that was the, that was the, uh, and that was the process that became collapse. You know, it was hard to sort of like, and it took a while, you know, it was like from about 2012, it took a couple of years and it felt fine. There was no, there was no deadline. There was no urgency. It just, it felt, it felt like a, just the right amount of time. <laughs> and then you did a follow-up, Unnatural Channel, right? How did yeah. that come about? How was working on that after having sort of something <laughs> under your belt with Collapse? I mean, that was, you know, like it was more, um, I still had this, job that I uh paying the rent it was you know it was a good well-paying job so even though I prioritized you know the way that I had it then was okay I'm gonna um so I guess actually I went back into nocturnal mode you know like I actually recorded that during uh uh at nighttime, I would come home from work and like work to like, you know, work in the studio to like four or five in the morning, sleep for an hour or two, and then just be in some kind of weird like zombie ghost mode. I was super focused and very like there for the music. And then at work, I was just like, which <laughs> is the right way to be yeah exactly yeah. it's like yeah. if you're going to like if if one part of it's going to be diminished let it be the job definitely so i was barely dragging myself through the you know through the daytime you know uh the daytime work that i had to do and then uh 
and at night time I was like alive and focused. <laughs> I don't recommend it though. I mean, at the you know at the time I also just basically had crazy insomnia anyway. You know that uh, you know it's always been something that just comes back and forward, uh, back and forth in my life. So I was like, well, I'm going to be insomniac anyway, so I might as well take advantage of it. <laughs> and and an unnatural channel, I think, tap also weirdly tapped into that because I was. I was in a state of just crazy sleep deprivation, you know, and I was kind of like working with that in a ritualistic fashion, you know, the way that you can go into the history of ritual, I mean, ritual magic. There's many, many ways that which you can achieve that, which you can tap into that uh, zone that place you know it could be it could be drugs which i wasn't doing you know it could be sex magic there's ways of just like taking yourself depleting yourself to the point where you're open to mm-hmm. um where the membrane becomes really thin and and i feel that you know i was doing that with uh you know during on before a natural channel and through that process, you know, I'd gotten to this state of like very like hallucinatory like uh, sleep deprivation that uh, I you know I don't recommend it and I wouldn't <clears throat> I wouldn't be in a hurry to do it again, <laughs> but it kind of like it it uh, it worked and I was just even in my date you know I would I would. It, frequently and regularly just go into a hypnagogic state you know i would just be even when i was talking to someone i'd be talking with someone and i would start to like hallucinate Mm -hmm. you know uh and then for most mostly it was uh oral hallucinations it wasn't really visual it was like sonic hallucinations which i would then try and uh, capture and (laughs) the unnatural channel Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I would then try and like, okay, you know, when I'm in the studio, like, what what was that sound? Yeah. Wow. That's you know? like being out of your body. It was definitely an out of body experience. You know, it was definitely, I think what, uh, uh, what I was doing with that, what I was, it was the, the idea of li- the limit experience, mm-hmm. you know, like the kind of Bataille type uh, limit experience. Uh, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like alchemical, like you're creating time. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you're stealing Absolutely. it from another place, but at the same time. Yeah. Well, that's an, actually, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I, I like that because it is this sort of like finite, you know, resource. <laughs> so yeah, like you know it. you're cheating, but and you're going to pay the price, but it's worth it in the, the moment. Yeah, you always have to pay the price. <laughs> yeah, you have to do that balance between money and time. After Unnatural Channel, we come to the third Helix. How did this record come about? What what was this wrought from? You know, it was just this idea. Um, uh, it was um, it was to take some of those more insane kind of energies that I tapped into with Unnatural Channel, and like try and to try and keep with the idea of like, because again, to me, it's like an absolute, you know, it's like a cornerstone 
belief that for me that all music is ritual music you know even the most banal music is ritual music whether it's good you know what that purpose serves is, is is something else but you know whenever i make music it's always i've never i've never uh i've never not had this idea that it's it's ritual music and with third helix it was tapping into that idea of the uh, that played around with with a natural channel but the idea of how we live now under what Burroughs called control or what we could just call hegemony or just the power structures have, you know, and this is obviously not, you know, you know, a, a, an original thought, but they've, they've uh, rewritten us to the point where, you know, you can't think out. I mean, that's the whole point of hegemony. You can't think outside of it. You know, it's like basically it's rewritten our DNA, you know, like at this point, you know, like we are the creatures of the power structures. Um I mean, and that's, you know, even, and then that's like literally true in terms of epigenetics, you know, the way that, you know, that, that uh, epigen epigenetic diseases, you know, like can be, you know, that the stresses and trauma of living the lives that we live are literally passed down to like the next generations, you know, and, you know, some, some communities, you know, like experience that, you know, much more acutely than others. And, and uh, it was this idea that I wanted to try and create rituals to like dissolve this idea, like, you know, and this was the idea of the third helix, that capitalism, that power, hegemony, or whatever, had bound itself so tightly into us that it creates a third strand, you know, in the DNA, you know, like it's not like a double helix, it's a triple helix now. And um and this music that I wanted to do in uh, this ritual that I wanted to do was trying to find a way of, you know, or at least be the first steps in a continuing work, the first steps in figuring out how to, how to dissolve that, you know, and it can't just exist on its own, but it's like one part of it, you know, one part of the, the work, you know, and thinking, you know, thinking about it alchemically and thinking about it in, you know, ways of, like Crowley's idea of the great work and the idea of, it can't just be about personal liberation, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, and I'm still like working my way through this clumsily and ineptly, you know, like trying to figure out, you know, the place of the artist in society, you know, like, uh, like a lot of us are, are doing you know like what do we you know what are we doing you know when everything is just like going you know spiraling into destruction you know like and i'm sitting in my little studio making <laughs> music you know i i wanted to have a high you know like not to be like pretentious or like lofty but i want it to be you know like uh purposeful or, or have some kind of intent and even in some tiny tiny way some 
some small way. So that was like the third helix was sort of like the first step along that path. Uh, and then your most recent full length is Agalma, uh, if I'm saying that right. Yep. It's usually yeah, just yeah, the Swedish don't. words. I have to say that too. <laughs> <laughs> now you get what? Greek, Latin? <laughs> it's Greek, yeah. Greek, but, yeah. I knew it was one yeah, or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a Greek word for, I mean, it means literally like a, a like an offering, you know, usually like a votive or, or you know, uh, an offering to the gods, but it could be an offering to any thing or anyone you know it could even be like thought of as just like a, a a gift you know but i like i was tapping into the idea of a, a an offering this record also has uh you featured people other people on the past records but this is more collaboratively focused in terms of like most of the tracks have a sort of guest collaborator on them uh one of which being uh longtime friend Rob Lowe who is uh, just all around wonderful person <laughs> yeah but how did uh, yeah. how did those collaborations come about and what was the decision to sort of take this record in a different direction well most of the collaborations were I, I, I mean I loved all the artists loved you know love all of them love all their music I think they're doing like fantastic music but they were all like the idea was just getting with co tapping into conversations that I'd had with each of them and really feeling super inspired by the conversations that we'd had and then using that as a springboard to asking them to collaborate you know like okay it's a given that they're geniuses you know they're absolute fantastic musicians and who wouldn't want to work with them but it was more like being inspired by conversations that we'd had about you know you know conversations about the sacred so conversations about the sublime you know like not always conversations about music you know conversations about other things and then you know like okay i really really kind of connected with them on that level on those you know uh on those levels, you know, like what would happen if I asked them to like be on the be on the record, you know, like what what would happen then, you know, with those conversations, you know, like would they bleed over into the record, you know, would it become, uh, you know, like an alchemical transformation? Would it make sense? Would it just be a, you know, just be this kind of. Uh, uh, this sort of flow from the conversation into the actual like musical, so that that was the that was the idea uh, for that. I mean, I'm, I'm like super, you know, I I couldn't have been happier with with uh, with the uh, the the way that they um you know the way that they uh, the way that those yeah those converse those conversations became you know realized musical. Uh, musical collaborations i think i think i think worked <laughs> it sounds not dissimilar from how you wound up in coil right conversations I, the right vibe the right just thinking of these things and, and relating to these people i mean very much so you know and i actually never really 
I never thought about that connection until there, but it's actually true. I mean, and, and that's why I kind of like value increasingly. And I've been thinking about this, you know, a lot, you know, uh, just that that's, that's really what matters. You know, that's really all that matters, you know, is like the, you know, is like the, the, these human connections that I think that we, uh, you know, that we're increasingly in danger of losing because of our, you know, just hyper mediated, uh, you know, socially mediated lives that we live, you know, it's like this, the disconnections that we're all, you know, that we all are prey to and, and you know, fall, you know, that we can fall easily into and it's like you know what i just want to fucking hang out with someone you know like <laughs> physically and in person and have mm. a conversation you know it's like i more and more you know like i'm just like uh feeling the uh the intensity of the necessity of that yeah i just like how like amazing it is and how you know the the how much how much that gives to your life and your like you know your uh your create you know your creativity is just like yeah sitting talking to people i mean you know like i mean it doesn't have to be physically in the same room i mean you know but just you know just actually talking with another human being i mean it's sort of probably banal and trite but it's like doesn't stop it from being <laughs> from being real uh tara recently I mean, showed me a photo of the day that i met mike and tara you know, those sort of yeah. things where like we can look back 20 years and see like, yeah, this is because we met in person. We're still here because we had these conversations back then. We're still here doing this and doing this stuff together. It is really important going going to shows. Go, and a lot of times even, you know, we, I'm sure we all felt this when we were touring more after the show back at someone's yeah. house or whatever. Yeah. And you're just you're just <laughs> talking or at the bar, wherever yeah, you yeah. may wind up. And you're just having these conversations and talking about ideas things you love any of this stuff that really solidifies why we do this as much as the ritual practice of making the music yeah yeah very much so yeah i mean i've just uh i have been feeling that really you know the last week uh, a good friend uh passed away about a week ago you know someone you know incredible uh musician and connector you know odai masri um and uh I was just thinking about how I met, I only met him for the first time in like 20, January of 2019, but how much this person has like, how many new, uh, since then new friendships and relationships that have been engendered to just like create or just like sparked by, the, you know, meeting that. And it's like, it's, uh, meet, uh, by meet, meeting him and, um, yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's super important to keep that, you know, keep that process and keep that keep that going. I I saw I uh, very sorry for your loss and I know I have a lot of mutual friends who are friends with Odai, so very yeah, sorry yeah. for for everyone's uh, loss. I unfortunately never never met them, but it's always hard to to lose someone. Yeah. It's something you've dealt with a lot yeah. you know we all feel this as we get older too as we right. start to start to lose our friends and yeah and loved ones and collaborators and uh, people who have uh influenced us and impacted our lives uh drew one thing that i have noticed throughout 
this box said, and we talked about the intense process of compiling it, you are you are a person who makes demos and versions of your tracks. This is not, you know, we talk about improvisation. That's been a big thing. But all of these discs are jammed with sketches, ideas, and starting points. Uh, how integral is that to your process? Have you always been doing that? Is this a thing that kind of started with putting Collapse together? Oh, oh, I mean, it's absolutely integral, like the process of iteration of, and, you know, this box set, one of the hardest things with the box set was like cutting it down to six CDs because at one point, you know, I looked at what I had and it was the equivalent of like 10 or tw maybe 12 CDs. And I was like, no one wants to listen to I do. 12 CDs. Yeah. Ray does for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And that was, you know, like, uh, so it felt like that was a reasonable, you know, reasonable amount. But that was so hard getting it down to getting it down to six, you know. Um, but yeah, the, the iterative process, the process of... Um, of sketches of uh, and and then of abandoning things for months and then it becoming another thing, you know, using that, you know, almost like a self-sampling, you know, where you're like uh, taking something that was the springboard of something that became part of collapse and then using that, you know, for for this album that I'm working on and it doesn't have any, you know, any, you know, doesn't sound anything like that, but it came from the same source. So all these little uh, sketches and ideas and improvisations. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, uh, it's such a, 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 an important part of the process. And also just the, uh, just abandoning things of like, okay, this, uh, this, and that was really illuminating and interesting, you know, because I, Going back into the archives is a is a weird thing, but like going back into and hearing things that I worked on that I just gave up on, they were like, "Oh, okay, this is this is really interesting." I'd given up on this, but it could have been something, and I, including some of those, because I, part of my fear <laughs> when the box set was first uh, floated, so the idea of being not having all these things that didn't make the cut was like, well, if they weren't good enough to release, you know, on the actual <laughs> album, then, then, you know, why would I want anyone to to hear them now? But just that was, for me, was a good way of uh, getting out of that very precious uh, mindset. And knowing that anyone who buys this box set is like basically someone who's, you know, into what I do, <laughs> right? So right. it's not like, you know, so it's kind of like not being so uh, selfish about it, you know, just like being more, you know, like uh, getting myself to be more generous about like letting people hear the hear the process. I mean, you're getting to hear the process. You're hearing some pretty raw, <laughs> uh, raw first takes, yeah. and then you know, like it kind of because it is a weird, you know, like wait, you know, then you're kind of like fought. You get to sort of. I think follow the the creative uh, pathways with all its little diversions and and little wrong, uh, wrong turns and dead ends. Chasing an elf through the forest. <laughs> Chasing an elf. 
Well, Ryan, you heard it here first. There's another six CD box set that for you. So you, you know, get ready. Drew, what uh, is a sketch the the first idea and the demos the more refined idea approaching the final idea? Because some things are listed as sketch and some are as demo. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I don't even, I don't even know why I did that because. Uh, uh, there's a version of uh, uh, Tell Me the Name. This, I think it's called Sketch. I, I, I should know this. <laughs> I think it's called Sketch. Tell Me the Name actually, is a sketch, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. <laughs> which is actually just a completely different version of Tell Me the Name. And I'm like, why did I call that Sketch? I don't know. I think that was more just... Uh, 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 during the process of digging, that was where it got assigned. All right. Yeah, I don't think there's any clear methodology that you could divine from that. <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> Aside from the one twenty one a.m. alternate version of Convulsed. <laughs> Which is that was very distinct. <laughs> that's Yeah, yeah. That was the day before it got mastered. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. <laughs> and also, I mean, I try not to do this anymore, but I went, so I don't go to the master uh uh, the sessions anymore because Josh Bonatti masters them all, and it's like, why would why would I be there? You know, he just it's never it's almost always his first take. I I approve, uh, but that was the first time I worked with him, so I was there, and during uh, convulse, I there was something about it didn't sound right, and I was like. Josh, you're gonna hate me, but I need to. I need to change something, and he was just. He didn't say, "Are you crazy? We're sitting in that. We're mastering it right now." I was like, "I'm gonna to have to go home and like change this." <laughs> so I left the studio, went home, and and did two versions. One of them was like the version that made it into the, you know, when we mastered it the following day made it into the the album and then this was the alternate take as I was losing my mind. <laughs> wow. But it, yeah, that's one of the, yeah. He didn't even blink. He didn't even like, you know, he was just like, yeah, sure. Well, Amazing. you know, artists can, can be a little particular, so. <laughs> yeah, I I'm try sure not to do that anymore. I mean, that was like, it was one of those things that just, you know, listening to their, uh, in that situation, I was like, oh shit, this is not right. I could, I mean, I'm a total perfectionist, you know, like, uh, I was like, if I don't, if I, I could just easily just like let this go, but then I'll never be able to listen to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll be always there. Uh, I think Probably we all no know that else. feeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, A you worry about it. No sleep. one outside of it <laughs> yeah, ever yeah, notices. Yeah, no, but No you... one cares about those <laughs> hours, those eight hours you spent on like moving something like by a milli you know like by uh, <laughs> a, a hundred milliseconds oh yeah literally just resent a thing and it was a literal one second edit that we i was like 
no one will know this. I won't be able to live with it. And I'll never listen to this ever again because of one second. Yeah. Uh, and you know what I mean? It's like, no one will literally ever know that anything happened besides the two of us. <laughs> but, but actually I think, you know, those little decisions, those little yeah. micro yeah, decisions yeah. you make, I think they really do matter. You know, like mm-hmm. I think it sounds, it feels, it feels insane when you're doing it and it feels like you're being like an absolute, like, perfectionist you know like diva but i i think it actually does you know yeah. I, oh, totally. I think yeah it, it also it, connects us to good our work into great yeah 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 totally. that that form of listening connects us to our work in a way of yeah knowing the imperfections knowing what was there and what isn't there and knowing that we had some control over it i think yeah definitely even when it uh, is an improvisation so you mentioned yeah. working on something new yeah, I mean, it's again, it's the. It doesn't feel like a huge discontinuity from uh, what I've been working on. You know, in terms of like, it feels like. I mean, it's very different. It sounds really different from Agalma, um, but it feels like it comes from the same impetus. You know, this kind of, uh, you know. Uh, this idea of trying to tap into, you know, the sacred and the sublime, you know, and also just the earth, you know, the, the, you know, the physicality of the world and, you know, what, and also the sort of just the kind of disorienti- disorienting weirdness of, of being alive, which, you know, it's like even at, I'm 62 now and I'm like, I still haven't like gotten over it, you know, it's still like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and this one's taken a while, actually, you know, I've been working on this uh, and it feels good that kind of, I really love that, um, uh, that it's taken a long time initially you know, because it gets out of the cycle that obviously, you know, with Deus, that's, there's no rigidity. There's no, you know, they're very cool about it. They're like, yeah, whenever you do it, do it. But, you know, people get into this idea of doing an album every, whatever, 18 months, two years. But now I'm like, the last uh, Galma was, uh, came out in um, the fall of 2020. And this will be, uh, this is you know, scheduled for spring of uh, of next year. So, but it feels good. You know, I I love that I've been able to take the time and slow everything down. Um, and uh, part of that was, um, you know, like, you know, during the pandemic, not being able to tour, you know, like I, I love the process of working on music and then playing it live and seeing how it, you know, just how it feels, you know, not how people react to it, but how, just how something feels when it's outside the, you know, the confines of your studio. It, um, it's always been a part of my process is, you know, the semi-improvisational nature of taking what you're doing in the studio and then playing live and just things mutate and change. You get these like happy accidents, these weird like serendipitous things where you do something differently one time and it's like, oh wow, this track, this song has taken on a different, you know, a different life. So um yeah, 
didn't really have that during the pandemic, and but I've been playing a bunch recently, so that's like that's been uh, uh, that's been good. Yeah, I mean, I um, it uh, this might not be the title, but uh, the working title for the album is uh, "Animals Will Sing with Joy at Our Demise." <laughs> It'll give you an All idea right. of where I'm going. Yeah. It's like, a, this is my eco-terrorist album. <laughs> uh, can we expect more collaborators it's a, on this one? It's a joke. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, um, I, I'm kind of, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, can really, uh, nothing's so solidified, but there will be some collaborations on this, you know. Uh, but... Um, probably some more sketches there'll be some sketches <laughs> <laughs> I understand what you mean about not not performing live and how important the iterative process is there like yeah. like doing a sketch or a demo but also setting out to do the same thing multiple times and having it change on you each time until you've distilled the elements that you specifically want to include and it, it evolves every time we do this unless you're going just straight from some sort of pre-programmed backing track or something yeah you you're changing what you're doing every time you go through it for better or for worse <laughs> but usually for the better right yeah yeah definitely i mean that's the thing i you know i love that you know the way that uh, things and it's also it, it's why it's I think it's really hard for us to let go of a you know there feels like a, a sense of mourning when you actually finish a record because it's like wow you know all that potential that it has you know the, the sort of like it exists in a state of like where anything it could be anything and now I have to like concretize it and it's like okay this is it this is now it's final form I mean I still like you know like when I play uh, play live it's something that I've is already out of course it's going to mutate and you know, it's going to mutate and transform into something else. And then through that mutation and transformation and that sort of alchemical process, the next album or record, you know, comes out of that. It comes out of the death of the previous one. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> True. I'm joking, but it's like, this yeah. has been so awesome. Thank you for sharing oh. your history oh with us God. and and all of your thoughts and process. This is this is really wonderful. I'm I'm so thankful uh, we got to talk you. and and to hear yeah. about all this stuff. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to include? No, that th just uh, thank you for having me. It's been really uh, it's it's been really great talking to uh, talking to you all. And uh, yeah, thank you. Oh, this Thanks. has been this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely, yeah. our pleasure. And until the next, so we'll do it again next week. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this one at three a.m. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so, the new box set Lamina available from Deus definitely worth picking up. I think a lot of the records are still in print on the Deus shop, or at least a, a handful of them. Yeah, grab them, grab them, and check mm -hmm. it out. And. <laughs> You know, the box set's got tons of great stuff. Everything is packed with, uh, like we said, sketches, ideas, demos. So if you want to hear more of that process, you know, if Collapse was an entry point, like Drew said, people picking this up will hopefully already know and like his material and want more. So you're getting way more with this box. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to whatever you give us next, Drew. Thank you. Thank you.
You have been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 20 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.